Hi, everyone. This is the official Succession podcast from HBO and Pineapple Street Studios. I'm Kara Swisher. I've got like six more ovulation windows until all sex is prison sex. We're not going to make the piss-mad bear dance with fucking cattle prods. We need to be looking after him, okay? You are putting yourself in the service of a monstrous endeavor. Well, this week's episode was a true farce. The annual shareholders meeting turns into a petty fight between old men. A rabbit dying after eating a bagel is only an amuse-bouche because soon enough comes the main course. Logan gets a UTI and hallucinates a dead cat. Reagan had one and nearly nuked Belgium. Fuck, what? Now I've attended more shareholders meetings than you can shake a dead cat at, and I've actually tried to shake a dead cat many times. And they've pretty much been performative kabuki that have yielded almost no important information that is worthwhile to investors. But the hijinks in this episode, that takes the volume of idiotic corporate kerfuffles up to an 11. Whether it's Jerry or Carl or Frank trying to jazz hands shareholders as Shiv attempts to make a self-dealing backroom deal. I can sell it. Can you sell it? Or Kendall making an inane speech about a foundation to help Waystar Royco's victims. Or Roman doing perhaps the worst call you can make to a president of the United States. I think we just alienated our most powerful ally. It's all a narcissistic traffic accident with one person, Logan Roy, at the center. And he has to pee something off. I need a piss. You guys off to the bathroom? Uh-huh. This fucking business is it of yours. On this episode of the podcast, we'll look at the very white, very privileged world of the Roys and what Succession is saying about power in all its forms. My guest is Aminatu So. She's an author, cultural observer, and co-host of the terrific podcast, Call Your Girlfriend, and the host of When Diana Met, a podcast from CNN. Also, she's a huge Succession fan, despite the narrow world it portrays. The show represents everything that we rail about in our professional lives, but watching it for entertainment is just beautiful. We'll talk about how race is both seen and unseen in the world of succession and how it illuminates the privilege these characters have. And because these themes spread across the entire series, that's where we're going to be going to. Beyond this most recent episode and into moments from earlier seasons as well. But first, power rankings. So much chaos this week. Good thing we have these rankings to bring order to the universe. By the end of this episode, who was up? Well, Shiv, although she was also down. She was the one who realized Logan was out of his mind with a UTI. Yuck. She took control of the Waystar Royco negotiations with Sandy and Stewie. This is what your dad wants? Yep, it is what my dad wants. Well, well, good. This isn't good. Great. So we're good? Sure. She lands the deal avoids a vote, and might have lined up a board seat for herself. Sadly, as usual, that isn't enough to impress her dad. Chef, I'm trying to talk to Jerry about something important. Stop buzzing in my fucking ear! So who's down? Honorable mention goes to Roman for that incredibly awkward call with POTUS. Obviously, he is not ready for primetime. Don't swear at him! Oh, really? It's not cool to tell the president to blow me? Hey... Mr. President, this... Sorry. Yeah. No, so... Crosstalk, you go. But there was someone who fell even lower after winning Best Power Move last episode. Tom has found himself at the bottom this week, where he kind of does belong. For one, he was on piss duty for Logan. Give me a hand. Okay. Yeah, not to... Do you... Like, you don't need me to hold the scepter? No. 
And then Chip figured out that his uh, secret plan was to try to put a baby into her before he goes to prison. It's probably easier just to go to prison. What is the point of all this? Where are we heading? Mom, I don't want to be your fucking incubator for when you're in prison doing chin-ups and, and reading Nausgaard. You're making it sound horrible, and it's not horrible. It's nice. Oh it's supposed God. to be nice. So with Tom's wounded ego, who laid down the biggest power move this episode? We have a surprise winner here, Cousin Greg, for once. He finds out his grandfather, Ewan, is leaving all his money, including Greg's inheritance, to Greenpeace. Yes, Greenpeace. Do you think it's possible to sue a person, uh, a, a grandparent, for example, like in an affectionate way? But Greg does something even bolder, by which I mean completely idiotic. You're going to sue Greenpeace? Like your style, Greg. And those are the power rankings for now. You probably slipped him something, Putin. Fuck! Okay, on with the show. The setting for this episode was some huge, nondescript hotel where hundreds of mostly white shareholders gathered. Great voting. Let's just throw it open to the fucking retired janitors of Idaho. Thank you, Roman, for perfectly describing every shareholder meeting I've ever gone to. The shareholders the Roy family cared about were the group spearheaded by Stewie and Sandy, and Sandy's daughter, Sandy, with an I. By the way, she's played by the great Hope Davis. This group wants to force a vote and get the Roys out of power. In all the back and forth, Logan's camp chose a telling place to draw the line. They want to take away the private jets. The PJs? No. Elitist and out of touch. Well, duh, but no. That's just, they're trying to humiliate him. Well, yeah. was, it, was it real, or are they just basting the turkey? I, let's just eat it, Dad. You can tell them to fuck off later. Yeah, we could just offer to, to cut personal use or a mileage cap. Oh, bullshit. Right. No, first they came for the PJs and I said nothing. Then they come for the outsized compensation payments, you know? This is, no, this is bullshit. They'll back down. They're not going to blow it up over this. Right? Dad? Oh, I need a piss. Oh, by the way, after Logan comes back from that piss, he says, as usual, fuck them, and doesn't hand over the PJs. That scene is a perfect roast of the rich white people that Succession focuses on, which is part of why I think that my guest, Amina Tussauds, loves Succession oh so very much. Right, Amina? Absolutely. So, Amina, that scene, uh, PJs, private jets, it's sort of what's terrible about the Roy family and what we love to watch and laugh about, correct? Or maybe not? I mean, it's what's terrible, and I think it's also what we imagine happens in real life, you know, to people mm -hmm. who have this immense amount of power and privilege, and also, you know, that we're, I, I, I find myself both fascinated by them and also just disgusted by them, and it's, mm -hmm. it's beautiful. But which part? At the same time? At the same time. At the same time. I mean, what is fascinating is I don't know what it would be like to live in a world where everything is at your disposal and truly everything when, you know, taking your private jet away from you is one of the worst things that could happen to you. And at the same time, you are just disgusted completely that, you know, every single character on the television show knows they're very cognizant of the amount of privilege that they have. They're cognizant of how to use that knowledge to their advantage and there is something very brutally refreshing about their honesty. Unless he wants me to go public and take a big black light to our semen-stained family scrapbook, maybe he ought to fit me in, yeah? So I heard a rumor you're part of a group text thread about this show. Can you tell me about it? I mean, I'm part of a lot of group text threads about the show, but the one that I believe you're asking about is a 
uh, thread that I'm on with other black writers and we are like this, this show is our cocaine and it is just so, it's so funny to me how the show represents everything that we rail about in our professional lives, but watching it for entertainment is just beautiful. Uh You know, I think the thing about it that that's fascinating is that we, um, Obviously, some of these stories have parallels in the real world, right? They have parallels that are either like accurate or they're very they're a little bit recognizable, or they really are what we fantasize um, about insanely wealthy people doing. And so, to see it represented on the screen in this way that is one very well written, that is very entertaining, um, you know, it, it's just jarring. It's jarring, and it also, you know, I think it also confirms some of the fears that you have in the lizard brain of, oh, this is actually exactly how I am being exploited as a worker somehow. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the people really are despicable, but it's very enjoyable. And that's also hard. It's hard to, it's hard to, I've never wa- enjoyed a show so much where I am rooting for nobody. Not at all? Nobody. nobody I mean, maybe I'm rooting for Jerry a tiny bit, but even Jerry's compromised. You know what I mean? It's like... I find myself, even as I said that I was rooting for no one, I am rooting for Roman and Jerry's romance. Um, mm-hmm. And I and I enjoy that they, um, I enjoy that they're honest, even though they are competitors. In your group text thread, who who is the one that they hate the most? There is no one that we hate the most. I think for us, it would be instead of a power ranking, it would be a cringe ranking. It's like who has made you cringe the most. That week, it's it's almost always Kendall. Almost always Kendall is at the top of the, like, you want to die at the things Kendall has said or done or rapped mm-hmm. about. Why is that? He is not smart enough. He is not cunning enough. He is he's, He would not make a good CEO. And also, he's just mad that his daddy's job won't, like, become his job. Mm-hmm. So that's that. Also, the unfortunate rapping over the, over the seasons. Check it. Born on the North Bank, king of the East Side, 50 years strong. Now he's rolling in a sick rod, handmade suits, raking in loot. Five star general, y'all best oh, no. salute. Yo, oh, bitches be no. catty, but the king can't be catty. Rock no. all the haters where we go, roll Ken a bit. Ken W.A. On the decks, I read it. On the rocks, it is burning my eyes, but I cannot look away. Time. L to the OG. Dude, be the I'm OG. screaming. <laughs> God, I can't believe you made me relive that. I, <laughs> I know, I know, feel, it's painful. I feel sweaty. I know, it's painful, and at the same time, as she said, you can't look away, right? And at the same time, you're embarrassed for him, who's a fictional character, and yet also, like, what an asshole. It's so shameless. It is also so bizarre. That's the other thing. We're like, this is so, like, where is this coming from? It's shocking. It like I still don't. I still don't understand. You know what yeah. I mean? I think that it's it's one of these moments where you sit down and you go, yes, this person is a very rich um, addict with a lot of daddy issues, and so maybe that starts to contextualize what is going on here. But there is no shame at all. Well, it's also not a one-off thing for him. He pretty he appropriates pretty consistently. Probably he thinks it makes him young and cool. I guess um, I have seen this happen in Silicon Valley. This, this archetype 100% exists, but it is very cringe-inducing. It's very... I saw a VC rapping once, and I, I didn't know what to do. It showed oh, me my God. Was it the rapping... Was, how bad was the rapping? So bad. So bad. Do you remember a bar from it at all? No, I don't. I just... I, I, I like, sank into the ground, essentially. And I... And <laughs> nobody... Everyone was sort of uh, saying how good it was, and I was like, I'm pretty sure. Now, I'm not an expert, but I'm sure it wasn't. Oh, gee... Dude be the OGA and he playing. Playing like By the a way, I want to give a nod to Jeremy Strong here for his performance. It's not easy being awful. 
So people of color seem underrepresented on the show. Amina, is that more intention than oversight? I want to know what you think about it. I mean, this is one of those instances where it really does not bother me. I also think that um, the conversation about representation can be very lazy. But in this case, this is like very accurate of what this world is. You know, I'm like, where are you going to pluck a person of color from in this world? Yeah, it'd be almost like The Sopranos is another show where that would not where that would be the case. There are these shows that are just like that. And, you know, one of the jokes of the group chat is that this is an example of Caucasian coonery, cocoonery. And, um, you know, thank you to the people the people's dictionary um, (laughs) for that. But, you know, again, it's like you watch it and you're like, yes, this is exactly how white people are when there are no people of color in the room. And it Mm -hmm. either confirms the things that you think you know or it just plays to the basis fantasy that you have. And who knows? So the worldview of these characters is made clear very early on in the pilot. Remember the softball game? Roman is a complete asshole to a young Latino kid he invites to play, rips up a million-dollar check in front of him. Let's listen to that scene. Unfortunately, you can't see the faces in the room reacting in horror. I will give you one million dollars if you hit a home run. For for real? Yes, for real. Whoa! That's it! Run, kid! That's a hit! That's a damn hit! Come on, Shiv, I'm here, Shiv! No! Bad luck, kid. Oh! Oh no! You were so damn close! That was so close! Oh my goodness! Oh, that is so sad! Oh, I'm sorry. I can't give it to you. That would have counted, by the way. That was almost a home run. Oh my god. Well, I mean, remember react. they offer the family a watch and then, then a non disclosure agreement? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. to thank them for their troubles? Yeah. Yeah. I still, that's just disgusting. <laughs> and yet, totally entertaining, which is the worst part, I think. I mean, I think in the pilot for me, this was one of the moments where I decided that this show was for me because, right. you know, Tell there me was why. just this, this, because there was this moment for like a, a nanosecond where I told myself like, oh, this is so weird. He's just going to give this kid a million dollars for not hitting the home run. And then he doesn't do it. He follows through with his promise and doesn't do it. And I was like, wow, this show is going there. I remember being horrified and enjoying it at the same time. So I was like, here we go. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Was there other resonant moments like that that are true to life? I mean, I don't know. When Connor runs for president, I feel like that was kind of the same thing where you're like, what? You're not qualified and you just want to run for, like, you're just running for president. The bore on the floor moment, you know, like that was, that was also really wild. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, the car crash. What do you think when they go there? You're talking about people just going there and keeping going, right? In, the, in, yes. in other times, they might give him a little bit of money either, you know, or apologize or something like that. But here, they just continue in character. As they themselves. just continue in character, and there's just no break from the selfishness and the greed, you mm-hmm. know, where you're just, mm-hmm. you just, you're always reminded who the main character is. You're like, the Roys are the main character. And so why would anyone else benefit from anything that they've done? Is that hard as a writer to, to, not, to actually take it that far? Can you talk a little bit about that? And do you do that enough as a writer? Most of my writing does not do that at all. And so I think that's also from just like a purely craft level. It's why I enjoy it. Because I do think that it takes a kind of imagination and a kind of, you know, 
I don't know, like fearlessness maybe is the wrong word, but it really is you just follow through with the worst instinct that you have all the way through. And these characters are the exact right people to do that with, you know? They're always saying the quiet thing out loud. And you're just showing how, like, gross human beings can be when they're this selfish. And and also, in a lot of shows, they have a moment of learning, right? There's no learning here. Three seasons of whatsoever. no learning, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you use the word, and I want to get this right, cocoonery, when you're talking about succession. Can you describe that idea? It really just means, like, Caucasian coonery, which... Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, uh, <laughs> make up your own mind there. And the reason that it makes me laugh so hard is because, you know, the it is really a flip on the, like, usually observing um, black, cult, like, white people observing black culture and having really derogatory things to say about it. And the joke here really is, you know, it's like, white culture is in shambles. Like, this is, is this, <laughs> is this what's going on over here? And... There is a level of like power, usually that comes with money that people have where nothing is true anymore. You know, the standards are completely different. It's like imagine doing a bad rap at a like at some rich person party and no one can look you in the eye and say, hi, this was really stupid and dumb and don't do that again. But I find that like in this rarefied world of, you know, the ultra rich, they're just living by different rules. It's really hard to extricate the money from the whiteness and the whiteness from how much money there is because those are the two things that are those are the two things that are animating a lot of the um, you know I think the fascination from the audience like I like you know there are in every culture there are people who are ultra wealthy like I would watch the show set in China I would watch the show set in you know like wherever um, the show obviously would be different but in this specific case. It is just like whiteness and money going hand in hand and just the shock and awe of that. It's, it's very hard not to experience them that way. This season, there are a few new characters who are women of color. There's a lawyer named Lisa Arthur, played by Sanaa Lathan, who Kendall hires to rep him. And she immediately comes off as one of the most competent people in the show. I think both of us can agree. Here's a little bit of her advising Kendall. I know you have things going on, but I'm going to need you for like eight to ten hours very soon. You could get a subpoena anytime, and we need to be ready. Okay. Uh, I can't do that right now. I have bigger fish. Bigger fish than staying out of prison? So what do you make of her so far? You can see her, um, you know, obviously exasperated with him, but keeping a lid on it um, in some way. Um, What do you think of this character? I mean, this character is amazing because you know, everyone is vying for her to represent them. And the implication is that not only is she hyper-competent, the optics of having her are also important to the story. She has the right politics. She supports progressive causes. And so, you know, she would never defend, like, a terrible capitalist. And um, which is so, you know, which is, like, so laughable in, in that world. But I get it. As opposed to the lawyer that Logan keeps rejecting in that scene and then finally has to go find because, um, you know, because Lisa's no longer available. You like this character. You'd like to see more of her? I mean, I would like to see more of her only because she is 100% like a gateway into more of the professional drama, right? Because even her <laughs> her client relationship with Kendall is falling apart as it is starting. Like he's, right, right. he's the most maddening client like a lawyer yes. can have. Yeah, you can see regret in her voice every minute of the day when she's talking to him. Like, ugh, God, why am I putting up with this asshole? This yeah, asshole. no, he literally takes the time to like prank his sister while, you know, like for the rest of it. I'm, if I thought that the FBI was on their way to come see me, I would be in a very different state of mind. Right. Meanwhile, he is playing, he's playing Game of Thrones with his like dad's company, you know? Right, which is what they do. So 
how has your experience watching show changed now that we're in the third season? What do you, as you know, you, you're a storyteller. How does the arc feel to you? So I went back and rewatched the first, uh, the first season in preparation for, for season three, because it had been so much time. And I, something, this is going to sound so naive, but I forget that when the story starts, Logan is already like well into his 80s. I was like, oh, this man is, they all think that he's, uh, you know, he's on his way out. And it's now been three seasons of he's healthier than all of his kids, at least mentally. And he's not going anywhere. He is completely delusional about the fact that he is going to die one day, whether it's today or it's in 20 years. But it's not tenable for like an 80-something-year-old to like cling on to power without having a clear plan of succession in place. But they've been able to go so deep in such a like short amount of time, and I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And also the, the legal drama of it on its face like seems very well thought out. Anytime I talk to my friends who are lawyers about the show, corporate lawyers, they will have tiny nitpicks. But in general, they're like, oh, no, this is like this feels like fairly accurate to what it's like to deal with these kinds of families. And when you think about powerful people sort of at the apex of the of the world where they have PJs and they have an ability to say and do anything, do you think there's any karma from real life to some of these people? Because I think about that a lot right now when. Some days I think, no, there really just isn't. And then some days I'm like, someday, karma. I mean, I don't really believe in karma because if it were real, I, maybe we wouldn't, maybe these families wouldn't be dynasties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead, <laughs> right. they actually are. Right. So I don't really believe in the karma, but it is remarkable to me that there are just these family names that you know, you know, and they just like crop up over and over again. And every time you see them, whether it's in media or it's in banking or it's in, you know, whatever, you're like, yep, that checks out. Like you're from a, uh, you're from a family that has just like printed money in the basement for, <laughs> for centuries. And that's why you get the access that you have. Right. And what about the behavior? I, this is sort of my last question. When you see that behavior, is that, um, real to life or just, like you said, an imagination of what it must be like to be inside with these people? I want to hope that it is not real to life. And the truth is that I don't know any of these people. Like, I do not know them up close and personal. But I think, again, that the reason the show is successful is because we imagine that's exactly how they are. And the few times that we are let into their worlds, these are exactly the stories that we hear. You know, the... The, the person who, who hits someone with their car and then completely runs away. The, the person who thinks that they um, are above board in, in every interaction that they have. The person who, you know, can rip up a check in front, uh, in front of a child after dangling that promise to them. It feels like this is how they would be. But I don't know that it's fair to say that 100%. But that's, you know, that's what the fantasy of writing is. So sure. I'm enjoying it. So what would you do if you were super rich? Like what would that. I do if I were super rich? Would you give up your PJs? Honestly, in this fight, I would give up the optics of the private jet. First of all, I think flying private is so terrible, um, not for environmental reasons, but truly like private jets um, crash more than um, Oh, so <laughs> you're going for the safety jets. angle. You'd yeah, be I was like, there, I don't know how safety. to tell you this. I'm going to fly first class as long as I can because the government regulates that industry a lot better and uh, I'm not dying like Buddy Holly. Rich people yeah. are always dying like via private jet and private helicoptering. So yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> we'll have um, them write that into the show. Okay. Kara, what would you do if you were super rich? Slash, are you super rich? <laughs> the same thing I'm doing now. <laughs> same thing. Hosting podcasts. I yeah, hosting podcasts, no assistance, just wandering around. Who doesn't want many hundreds of millions? I could be Marsha for sure. Oh, right. That's true. The next one. You could be the next wife. 
Aminatu is the host of When Diana Met, a podcast from CNN. Go find it. She also does Call Your Girlfriend and much more. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Kara. This is the official podcast of HBO series Succession. And it's a production of HBO and Pineapple Street Studio. It's hosted by Kara Swisher. Our executive producers are Gabrielle Lewis, Barry Finkel, Max Linsky, and Jenna Weiss-Berman. Our senior producer of the show is Nick White, and Darby Maloney is our editor. This episode was produced by Michael Catano and me, Shaka Mali, and engineered by Michael Catano. Production music is courtesy of HBO. You can listen to the next episode of HBO Succession Podcast after watching episode 6 of Succession on Sunday, November 21st on HBO Max. And don't forget to subscribe for our new conversation every week, wherever you get your podcasts. That is an imaginary cat. Now, could you please fuck off? 